As uh, Pastor Luke mentioned, uh, yep, it's Super Bowl Sunday, so, um, but, and who can forget some of the great uh, Super Bowls? I wish I could because uh, the 49ers, the arch enemies of the Los Angeles Rams uh, seem to always uh, be in there. Who can forget uh, Joe Montana throwing out there to one of his favorite uh, receivers? Uh, great Super Bowl moments, but uh, I think for many people... Uh, Myself included, uh, I think I'm just about as excited uh, for the commercials, and uh, I love those commercials. I never watch the Super Bowl because uh, I'm always in church, bless God, I'm in church, but anyway, uh, I watch them afterwards, and uh, they're always delightful. Back in the day, of course, I think you could almost watch the Super Bowl and be back for Sunday night church, but uh, um, who can forget uh, the famous uh, Apple commercial? You know, this is Apple, this is Microsoft, uh, there you go. And or Mean Joe Green, you know, giving that little bottle up, was it a Pepsi or Coke? I mean, oh my goodness. Uh, those are great moments. And a, and a commercial is sort of a brief intermission. It's a time to kind of reset your mind and refocus and then get back into the game. Really? Uh, what we're talking about last Sunday and what we're talking about today, that's exactly what Revelation chapter 7 is. It is a commercial, really. It, uh, it's not a, uh, supposed to be a funny one, but it certainly is an interlude. And so far, we've called it the dramatic interlude. It is a uh, delay between the opening of the sixth seal to the seventh. And God's going to take a moment to do some business. And I love what he does. He takes care of his people. And once he gets everything kind of settled, then he continues on. And so that's what we're going to see uh, next week, the Lord willing. But uh, uh, this week I read a funny story about end times and a pastor, a minister, who uh, was uh, right on the spot at the right moment. He was waiting in line to have his car filled with gas, a minister, just before a long holiday weekend. The attendant was there, many cars ahead of him in front of the service station. Finally, attendant motion said, come over here to a vacant pump. Reverend said, the young man, sorry about the delay. It seems as if everybody is waiting to the last minute to get ready for their long trip. The minister chuckled and said, I know exactly what you mean. It's the same in my business. <laughs> yes, that's true. It seems like we all wait until the last minute for a long trip. Well, let's get ready this morning by looking into the book of Revelation. Let's bow for prayer. Father, thank you this morning. Thank you for this great truth. I pray you'll encourage our hearts. You'll bless us. Teach us, Holy Spirit. I pray that you will fill every ear with an anointing to hear the truth, and to hear really what's being said. And Lord, help me to speak the truth and put anointing on my lips and my mind as I uh, disseminate this information. In Jesus' name, amen. Where are we? Well, if you will uh, take your, your little chart there, or uh, you, if you're online, it might be on your app. I think it might be, but uh, if you'll put that uh, little chart up there. I know it might not be quite in order here, but uh, this is a very... Uh, simple, and I like simple, and it's a visual. I, I've discovered over the years I'm a visual learner. I, every once in a while I work on a car, and not much anymore, but 
Um, when I work on that car, I'd read what it said to do. I'm like, man, I can't figure out what the world. But all I watch is a 30-second, 60-second YouTube. Man, I can do it. And uh, so I, I've discovered I'm kind of a visual learner. Well, let's get a visual picture of what's going on. And so if you're looking up here at the far left, is this church age beginning sometime during the ministry of Jesus Christ? And it got great power on the day of Pentecost for sure. This church age, uh, and it's not like uh, these are just you know, little uh, moments where God writes something in the sky, but we do know that this age uh, ends with the rapture of the church, as it talks about in First Thessalonians. And so we see the picture of all these saints uh, going up. And then we have this seven-year period of time of judgment on the earth. God has already judged our sins at the cross. So that's why God's people aren't appointed to wrath. They're gone. Now, there are three main judgment events that happen. The seal judgments, the trumpet judgments, which span basically the middle to the end. And then finally, when all breaks out, and that ones we have the bowl judgments. Then at the end of that time, we have the second coming of Jesus Christ, or maybe the second part of that second coming, which uh, some could even uh, say that the rapture is a part of the second coming. And then we go into a period of time called the millennium. And there will be many, many people, all saved people, humans just like you and I, not us, if you're born again, uh, and I hope you are, but uh, if for some reason you're not born again and the, rap and the, the tribulation begins, I just encourage you not to take the mark of the beast, as it says in the far right, because if you do, you'll have forever damned your soul. On the far left, receive Christ. On the far right, don't receive the mark of the beast. If that's the case, only saved people will enter into the millennium. These saved people, these human beings, just like you and I with flesh and blood, are going to be on this earth, and yet there's going to be a vastly remade earth, same earth, but remade. Uh, grow, things will grow like they back did pre-flood. I mean, giant everything. And uh, basically, people will live for hundreds of years. Uh, uh, a, uh, an old man uh, will be uh, like a, a year old. I mean, it's just going to be so living so long. And so, where are we today? So, if you'll notice then the seals, judgments, so that is uh, Revelation 6. So then the next thing is Revelation 8, which begins the trumpet judgments. So today, we're in this little sliver of time, this little intermission between the seals and the judgments, uh, trumpets. Now, what are the seals? Well, God has, uh, He illustrates this, uh, and it's uh, certainly an, an illustration. He illustrates this judgment. You know, if you go, to a, uh, go down here to the courthouse and you stand there accused of something, uh, they're going to read out the, uh, what's before you, and it's going to be on paper. And I mean, it's going to be very clear and concise and in legal language, and it's going to make everybody afraid. I mean, I've been in a courtroom numbers of times, and boy, it, it's always an, uh, an awe-inspiring thing. And they're going to read against you the indictments against you. And that's exactly what God's doing here. He is reading against this earth and against Satan and against his kingdom what's happening. It's a long scroll. It is sealed seven times. Each time he opens up a seal, reads a little more, opens up another seal, reads a little more. And so now we've opened up the sixth seal. And now we're going to have a little pause. God's going to take care of some business. Uh, 
And then he's going to continue on. And so uh, we saw last week, uh, uh, verses 1 through 3, the suppressing of the winds of judgment. Four angels hold back these uh, judging winds and uh, probably are really winds. I'm sure as in many cases in the book of Revelation, that's both literal and in symbolic. But the winds actually are the judging hand of God. And often God talks about judgment by describing it as wind. And then the sealing, number two, verses four through eight, of the servants of God. 144,000 Jewish people, actual Jewish people that might be alive today, should the Lord come. 144,000 from every tribe somehow get born again, probably through the ministries of the resurrected Moses and Elijah, the two great witnesses, maybe because of the preaching of the gospel, the everlasting gospel of the angel. And it will fulfill exactly what Christ says in Matthew 24, verse 14, where he said that the gospel will be preached around the world. Today, it is nearly that way, but there are still many, many tribes, hundreds and hundreds, millions of people who have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in that day, during the tribulation period, everybody will hear the gospel why? Because these 144,000 spirit-filled Jews with their Jewish energy, they will spread around the earth and they will preach the gospel. You, we all know what happened when one Jewish man, Paul, got saved. I mean, the whole book of Acts is, can you imagine 144,000 Pauls all over the world? I mean, it's, it's going to be the greatest revival ever. And So that's what's going to happen, and that's where we pick it up in verses 9 through 12. Let's read verse 9 together. After this, I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. Now we find the third of four divisions in this chapter, the singing of the angels and the saints. Now, the uh, Jewish group was uh, numbered. This group, innumerable. It was so great. The Bible says all Gentiles, North America, South America, Europe, Asia, Aussies, New Zealand, the Islanders, you name it, everybody, everywhere, 144,000 missionaries. The Bible says they come from every nation every country, every mountainside, every jungle, every people group. There are 7,000 known languages today. There are thousands of dialects. There are thousands more of inter-dialects, meaning they may speak the same dialect, but one village to another even differs. Folks, there are thousands of different languages. The Bible says all. Every people group, every person around this world, can you imagine what it's going to be like in heaven when they're all standing there? Now, this is a different group. We've changed scenes. We've been on earth. We've been seeing what happens during the tribulation. Now we're going to see what happens in heaven. And that's what's happening now. It says these tribulation saints. And so if you want to write that down somewhere, we're talking now about tribulation saints 
saints, people that get born again, they accept Christ as their personal Savior during the tribulation period. That's not you and I. We're the church. We've been raptured out of here. But those get, some get saved during the tribulation period. And it says that they are before the throne. I mean, they are ushered right in to heaven, heaven's throne room. Folks, it must be an amazing thing to be able to go into the throne room of a king or imagine even going to the White House and being honored. I mean, what, a, what an amazing blessing, but we're talking something 10,000 times better ever than that. Not only are they before the throne, but notice specifically what it says, they are before the Lamb. Not only before the throne, meaning in heaven itself, at the throne room of God, but there before the Lamb, who is, in fact, Jesus Christ. John the Baptist said, here is the Lamb of God. He is slain from the foundation of the earth. And so here we are, a personal invite and a personal audience with the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. And notice what it says, these saints of God who are there are clothed with white. They are white, white. How could they be that way? Well, because they have been given it by God himself. They are the clothes of righteousness given by God, his righteousness, where he imputes to us when a person gets saved, if this is my sins and this is Tim Pollock and this is Jesus Christ over here, uh, Jesus takes my sin and puts it on him. And uh, let's turn this piece of paper over. Well, let's do this. That was sin, and this is righteousness. The righteousness of Jesus, he puts it on me. I'm now clothed in white. I have the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Notice what happens in heaven. These people have been given clothes of white, and then there they are. They are, it says, waving their palms. Now, we're not talking about these palms here. We're talking about palm branches, which over the ancient Israel's history actually ancient history itself, was always a symbol of national liberation and blessing. You may recall in John chapter 12 when Jesus came into Jerusalem during what's called the triumphal entry. They waved palm branches. The palm was a, was a plant, a tree that the people absolutely loved. I mean, they did so much with it. They could peel the little palm branches and make ropes out of them. They would take the little palm leaves and strip them and make little bowls out of them. They, I mean, you name it, they, they loved the palm tree. It was absolutely a tree of life. And so to them, to use this tree that means so much to them, to wave the palm branches, it was a anticipation that Jesus is King of Kings. And so there they are in heaven. They're waving the palm branches. I mean, it's a great revival meeting. Verse number 10, and they cried with a loud voice saying, salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne and under the lamb. Isn't it amazing how God gives the apostle John this wonderful vision and he sees what's going to happen, this amazing praise and worship service. And it says with a loud voice. Why? because they're unashamed of their salvation. And we ought to, with a loud voice, say, thank you, Lord, for what you've done. Salvation to our God? What does that mean? That just means salvation belongs to God or salvation comes from God. All glory to you, Lord, for my salvation. I did nothing. It's all you. It's you, Jesus. Salvation 
belongs to God. If it belongs to God, it's a gift. If it's a gift, it can't be obtained by works. And that's exactly what the prophet Isaiah said. And Isaiah 43 and verse 11, I, even I, am the Lord. And besides me, there is no Savior. I declare and I save. Recently, Democratic presidential nominee contender Elizabeth Warren stated in a recent interview, she said, I see myself as America's Savior. I'm America's Savior, she said. She was actually referring to financially. Uh, that's hard to envision, I'm sure. But one thing I can tell you for sure, she is not America's Savior. But then neither am I, and neither are you. God says very clearly, I am the Savior. There is no other God, and that's why salvation belongs to God. Verse 11, all the angels stood round about the throne and about the elders and the four beasts and fell before the throne on their face and worshiped God. So there were angels. We suspect that they were cherubim. We find them listed in Scripture in the book of Isaiah and other places. So these were the ones who often surrounded the very throne room of God. They guarded the glory of God, the holiness of God. Uh, Michael was an announcer, as Gabriel was, and Michael was a great fighting angel, but the cherubims were quite an illustrious group. Notice they were also elders, representing probably all the Old Testament saints, New Testament saints. This was the spiritual elite of elite. Pastor Luke mentioned a few moments ago about people giving glory to someone, and who's the greatest quarterback of all? They call him the GOAT greatest of all time? Who's the greatest basketball player of all time? You know, who is it? And many people wonder about the goat. Well, I'll tell you who the greatest of all time is here. It's Jesus Christ. It says, they all stood around the throne and worshiping God. And it says that they fell before the king. They fell before the Lord. Why not? That is uh, a custom, of course, in history where a person would come into the king and they would bow deeply. In fact, many times would fall on the floor with their hands outstretched. And why not? Because it is the king. And when you give them that kind of absolute honor, I love that Christian Christmas hymn, fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angels' voices. Oh, night divine, when Christ was born. Elvis is not the king, my friend. Jesus is the king. LeBron James is not the king. Jesus is the king. And on that day, we will fall before him. Verse number 12, saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. A sevenfold amen. Remember now, these numbers in Scripture, especially in the book of Revelation, are very symbolic. Three, and number of the Trinity, seven is a number of completion or perfection. This is a seven-fold amen. I mean, we're talking about a complete blessing. And notice who is blessing who? These saints, these tribulation saints, these martyred people who are now in heaven, they are giving glory to God. And they can't stop with just God, you're good, or God, you're great. They gave him all this wonderful uh, blessings, and they start with an amen. You know, amen is an interesting word. It's actually a Hebrew word. It's uh, been uh, rolled over into the Greek language, and we still use it today in the English language. And I think a lot of people don't use the word because they're not sure exactly what it means. 
If you've been raised in a Christian culture, you know, you may say amen, or you'd see it someplace, or maybe you pray and you say amen, but the actual word amen, the Greek, the Hebrew word is aman, aman, amen. What it actually means is, and here's from your Strong's Concordance, it is true, surely, of a truth, truly, most assuredly, so it is, so be it, may it be fulfilled. It's all of that and more. And notice what it says, they are shouting, they are, they are saying, amen. And I'll tell you one thing, it is a scriptural thing to say amen. It is a scriptural thing to shout out, so be it, it is truth. I'm not for church services becoming circuses, but I'll tell you one thing, I don't think they ought to be funerals either, amen. I believe we ought to be warm about it and say amen. When we say amen, we do it for the Lord. When we say amen, we do it for the people around us, creature energy. When we say amen, we do it for the preacher. It just, it's like throwing a, a, a dog a bone, you know, just get, get going. You'd say, boy, I wish the preacher would get going. And then say amen, he'll get going. And uh, if you don't want him to get going, just, just stay quiet then, you know. But uh, I think we ought to practice, amen? amen? I think we ought to practice, amen? amen. I think we ought to say amen, amen? Amen. amen? amen, so be it. It is true, surely. And that's what these folks were doing. They were saying, amen. Now, folks, doesn't that make it better in a church service? Amen. 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 <laughs> Come on now. I know some of you can't talk and think at the same time, but um, you're so busy listening to the message. <laughs> I'll say amen at the end, Pastor. But uh, notice it says seven amens. And I love the way that they begin. They give God blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might. Basically, folks, they are just praising God for His attributes, which is a wonderful thing to do. That's why we need to study Scripture. That's why we need to study theology, because the more I know about the attributes of God and the depths of those attributes, the more that I give praise to Him, the deeper my prayer life becomes. I will tell you that one of the best days in your life is when you learn to praise God for His attributes. Just begin to worship Him. You know, in Islam, there are three cities that are considered absolutely sacred. There is Mecca, there is Medina, and there is Jerusalem. In fact, Muslims believe that one act of worship in Jerusalem is worth a thousand anywhere else. And in fact, Mecca and Medina even brings greater honor. But the fact is, meaningful worship doesn't need to take place in Jerusalem or Mecca or Medina or anywhere else. In fact, it is not about a place, but it is about the person of Jesus Christ. And that's why they are here. They are not giving praise to heaven, saying, boy, heaven's amazing. They're saying glory and honor and might and power unto Him, unto Jesus Christ. And so we find the singing of the angels, or at least the speaking of the angels, and the giving glory of the saints of God. So number four, our fourth part of this is the sanctifying of those who have faithfully served Christ. Verses 13 through 17, and one of the elders answered, saying unto me, what are these which are arrayed in white robes? And whence came they? And I said unto them, Sir, thou knowest. And he said to me, These are they which came out of the great tribulation, 
and have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Notice who these sanctified people are. It says they came out of the great tribulation. Actually, that phrase is in the present tense. It simply means they've been coming out. They've been coming out. And you saw that chart? Ever since the rapture? I mean, these judgments didn't wait, really. They just they started. And immediately, they, many believers were, or many people who got saved were then martyred for their faith. It has been going on since the beginning. Now, wait a second. You'd say, why are there so many that die for their faith, and yet these 144,000 Jewish evangelists don't die? Well, in fact, that's why God said He sealed them on their foreheads. He sealed them. God divinely, sovereignly, providentially protected them. And it was the best plan for them to be protected. And they will continue throughout the tribulation period, and they will just go right into the millennium. 144,000 amazing, sealed, spirit-filled evangelists, Jewish evangelists. And yet in God's wisdom and His sovereign grace, he allows these tribulation saints to die. In fact, uh, die in some cases a very tragic death. But he goes on to explain how in one sense that's even a blessing. Notice what it says of them, they have washed their, white, their robes white. How did they wash their robes white? Well, they did the washing in the sense that they received it, but it was washed in the blood of the Lamb. Anybody knows, uh, who does laundry knows that blood doesn't ever hardly come out of anything. But this blood makes something white, not stained. Now, Tide might give you 10 times the cleaning power, but the blood of Jesus gives 10,000 the cleaning power. I mean, notice what it says here. The blood of Jesus gives a cleansing. And I'm here to announce this morning that there is not one sin stain that Jesus Christ's blood cannot wash away. You name it. His blood washes away every stain that any of us have ever committed. And here in the book of Revelation, it says that they will have all of their sins washed away. And they will be standing there in this beautiful, actually the word white there is, uh, is a King James word, but actually the word means like translucent, uh, glimmering, shining. It's this amazing, just imagine this sparkly, you know, like some kind of a Disney beautiful, wow, you know, just light coming off of it. This dazzling robe, that's what it is, this robe that they're wearing. I'm glad this morning there's not one sin not washed away by His blood. And there they are. Notice in verse 15, therefore are they there before the throne of God, Right there before the throne of God. And then what? Verse 15, they serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. Now we know there have been temples in the past. There was Solomon's temple. There was Zerubbabel's temple. There was Herod's temple, which was at the time of Christ. Then we are told in the book of Ezekiel that there is going to be a millennial temple. In fact, we're even given the actual uh, dimensions of it. We're not sure that this, we know this is heaven, so it can't be that millennial temple. 
So we're just suspecting that what God is saying is that what goes on in heaven is like a great big temple worship time. And in fact, uh, it makes sense because we're told that the things that are done on earth are after a resemblance in heaven. But I want you to notice this. They are serving God. Heaven is about serving God day and night. We're not talking about just a few hours. A few hours on Sunday, a few hours during the week. We're talking about serving God. And the fact is, no matter what we're doing as a Christian, all, all jobs are sacred. Whether we're changing a diaper, whether we're working on a car, or whether we're making a good sale, whatever we do for the believer, all work is sacred. And in fact, we are serving God day and night. Notice what it says, they will serve God day and night. Hallelujah. Day and night in church, serving God, basically. I remember our dear brother Herb Voppel, one of our dear older saints that passed away this past year, and we sure miss him. But I remember one day Brother Voppel saying to me, he said, Pastor, you know, if I could, I would be in church every day. I would be in church every day. And, uh, you know, there comes a time in our life when we begin to realize what really means something. But look what it says. They're going to serve God day and night. It says, at the throne, he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. Now, there is a difference, we are told, in Scripture. These tribulation saints minister in the temple day and night. You'd say, well, what about us as church saints? Well, the Bible gives us a little different ministry. Revelation chapter 1 verse 6 says, He hath made us kings and priests unto God his Father to have glory and dominion forever and ever. Church saints, people who are saved before the rapture, they have a little different ministry. They are kings and priests unto God. It says that in numerous places in Scripture. Now, you may look at the life of this Meghan Markle, who was a Hollywood uh, star and then became part of the British royal family, and you may think, wow, a real princess story. Well, the fact is, folks, we got a whole lot better than that. The Bible says we are kings and priests unto God. Gentile tribulation saints will be serving in God's temple. Church saints will be kings and priests unto the Lord. Somehow, some sort of supervision way of doing things. Notice what it says there. Uh, the last, look at the last part of that little verse there in verse 15. It says, And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. Actually, the word there means to cover them. He covers. And so these tribulation saints, he covers them. He covers them with His grace, and He covers them with His love, and He covers them with His care. Verse 16, and they shall hunger no more. They shall thirst no more, neither shall the sunlight on them, nor any heat. These Gentile martyred saints will be comforted. They will have this new body that will never feel the pain, this new body that will never hunger again. I don't think there's any reason not to be literal here. Now, in a moment, we're going to see that uh, there probably is a symbolicness to it, but uh, they're going to die because they didn't take the mark of the beast. And because they didn't take the mark of the beast, they can't trade. They can't do business in this earth. And there's going to be severe heat. And because they don't take the mark of the beast, they can't 
likely rent places. They have to give up their homes. They'll be basically scattered all around, won't be able to get away from the heat. There's a global climate change. And so all these uh, tribulation saints will be trying to find a place. And specifically, it says they're going to have a problem getting food, pure water, and they're going to be suffering from heat. And you'd say, well, the things change. You better believe things change. Now, folks, this kind of uh, situation is already happening today where people who have strong biblical Christian standards suffer, even at times suffer business. John, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 3 says, this is the spirit of Christ, antichrist. Where have you shed heard that it shall come, but even now already it is in the world. John said that the spirit of antichrist, which is coming, and you can count on it, this antichrist, which won't allow you to do business until you take the mark of the beast, that already is working. And I will tell you, it's already working today. Are you saying, Pastor, you mean because you have biblical values and you stand for God, there's times when you can't do business? Absolutely. Think about Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A wanted to do business down in the new San Antonio, Texas airport, but the city council said no. We don't want, even though it's a, it is the fastest growing food chain in America and it has these strong values, uh, Christian values, Bible values, they called them anti-gay values. And because they have an anti-gay, supposedly, mindset, we're not going to allow them to be in our new airport. They can't do business because they're not taking the mark of the beast. Folks, that is going to become commonplace before the coming of Christ. That rapture that's going to take us out of here, that spirit of antichrist is already at work. But then look at verse 17 finally. For the lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them, shall lead them into living fountains of waters. That's what I was saying earlier. There's a symbolic sense to this too, not only a literal sense, real water, real food, real heat, but it, notice it says living fountains of water. I think this is a reference kind of what it talks about back in the book of John where Jesus was with that Samaritan woman and saying that God will give you water that will never, you'll never thirst again. And then God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. The Bible says here that these wonderful um, saints will get these blessings in their soul and in their heart and in their mind. They'll feel so blessed. Living water, just the thirst that so many have. So many wake up in the morning thirsty, something more, something fulfilling, something victorious, something good. And so many, most really of this world. You go to Asia and you'll find people, all, it's all about luck. Uh, we happened to be in a certain place and we saw these stewardesses in the airport. They walked into a room. They all turned around. They bowed before they walked in because they wanted good luck on their trip. And uh, luck is so much a part of the whole Asian culture. And they do things and say things and throw things over their shoulder. And they just, they, they make little things out about luck and they wish good luck. Folks, I don't need good luck. I need the good blessings of God. This fountain of living water that gets inside of me. And that's what happens when we serve God. The Bible says fountains of living water. And I want to tell you, I am so grateful for the ministry of the home church. So many people have found living water through the ministry here. And I think of those beautiful 
bus ministry folks that go out there and reach those precious saints of God, little children who really for the most part don't even have any hope. Don't have any hope. Folks, I tell you one thing, you know, if you have a good Christian home, you're raised up, sometimes you forget what so many people go through. I mean, it's just terrible. The stuff that some of these children have to go through, it's just absolutely terrible. And someone comes along and gives them living water. Living water. That water that comes from the inside. Joy and the hope of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, these saints in heaven found living water in the midst of this old world. How can it be that this tribulation period is going to be so terrible? And yet they get saved and get filled with living water. And then notice this one final statement, and my heart just rejoices at this, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. All tears gone. You know, my heart hurts for so many people this morning. This week, I talked to so many different people, and someone called and said, my son has just basically ran away. My heart is, my wife's heart is breaking. I'm between breaking and mad, I don't know what to do. And uh, Pastor, would you pray for us? And another, their mom is dying. And within uh, moments of death, another whose uh, loved one is uh, suffering so much. And others that are here this morning and some that are in so much pain, and yet they came. Some that right now, they may not even be here next week, dying of maybe cancer, dying of something else. My heart hurts every week. I pray for these people in my heart. All, throughout the week, I, I think of so much pain. And it seems like the older we get, the more we see the pain of others and my own pain and the pain of others around us. And as our family gets bigger, there's so many blessings. But honestly, there's so many heartaches. And uh, notice what it says, that in that day, God will be like a father God to each person. It says he will personally, he will personally. Ask Buddha to personally wipe your tears away. Ask Muhammad to personally wipe your tears away. No, Jesus, Father God, He personally, as a father, wipes the tears of every person He thinks about us and He cares about us and will never cry again. I look forward to that day when there'll be no more pain. I close with a a beautiful little piece that I think will bless your heart. You may have heard of Henry Van Dyke at the turn of the 19th century. He was a prominent novelist. He was an educator. He was also a Presbyterian minister. He wrote hymns. He was the one that wrote that uh, short story called The Other Wise Man, a very prominent Christian man. He had a dear friend that had a wife who passed away. And in honor of his friend, he wrote this piece, and it's often used, in fact, oftentimes used by those in the hospice ministry. It's called Gone From My Sight, and it sums up how he felt about his, the loss of his loved one. I'm standing on the seashore, a ship at my side spreads her white sails to the morning breeze and starts for the blue ocean. She's an object of beauty and strength. I stand and watch her until at length she hangs like a speck of white cloud, just where the sea and sky come to mingle with each other. 
Then someone at my side says there, she is gone. Gone where? Gone from my sight. But that is all. She is just as large in mast and hull and spar as when she left my side. And she is just as able to bear the load of living freight to her destined port. Her diminished size is in me, (laughs) not in her. And just at the moment when someone at my side says, there she is gone, there are other eyes watching her coming and other voices ready to take up the glad shout, here she comes. And folks, that's where I am this morning. The older I get, the more I can say I've seen a lot of ships sail off. A lot of ships, a lot of tears, so many tears. But I tell you this morning, for every tear that is shed, there's one on the other side that is receiving those and will wipe away every tear from every eye. Folks, this is a hurting, screwed up world, I will tell you. But I am glad that God is giving us a little divine intermission here saying, folks, let's stop this judgment for a moment. Let me tell you what awaits the people of God. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. If you are